0: 1 Corinthians 9, beginning with verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that may by all means save some. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others... I myself should be disqualified."
1: When Paul wrote those words, he assumed that the Christians in Corinth knew all about the games. The Olympic games took place in Greece from 776 BC until 393 AD, every four years without a break, 1,169 years until Theodosius put an end to them because of their pagan associations in 393. They knew all about the games. And so he didn't have to explain the games. He simply did what he and Jesus always do. He saw the games in relationship to eternity. Paul and Jesus and the apostles were so saturated with God and so saturated with eternity and so in love with the gospel, they couldn't turn the television on for one second without seeing God. They saw everything in relationship to eternity. So he took the games as they were, didn't have to explain them, and what he did in this text was to influence the Christians in Corinth to transpose the games into a different key. To transpose the games from the level at which they were watching them and thinking about them and seeing them into another level of reality so that when they saw them at this level they would think the other level. That's the goal of this text, that's my goal this morning, is to transpose the games and to influence the way you watch television today and the rest of this week. I want to so work on your mind from the Bible this morning that you watch it a different way than the rest of the world watches it. That you see another reality than what they see when you see somebody running, you see another kind of running. And When you see somebody fighting, you see another kind of fighting. When you see one of these little vignettes about self-discipline and denial, you see another kind of self-discipline and denial. When you see a broad smile and sweat and singing with the gold around the neck, you see something beyond the gold. That's my goal this morning. I want to change the way you watch television. I want to change the way you see these games. Because if I understand what Paul is doing in this text, God's purpose in Barcelona is to give Christians, and anybody who would become a Christian, a tremendous impulse to fight the fight of faith and run the race of life with nothing, nothing less than Olympic passion and Olympic perseverance. I think that's the point of Barcelona. Barcelona is not merely the work of man, it's the work of God. God reigns in Barcelona. God made the bodies. God dreamed up the exercises. God knows and designs the way watches work, the way legs work, the way arms work. This is God's creation in Barcelona. It has a message for the church around the world. And I just want to say what that message is this morning and next Sunday. The reason... We have to take two weeks, is not just because the Olympics last that long, but because in this text, as I've meditated on it, there are two very distinct things that just, the way I handle them anyway, have to have enough time to deal with them separately. The first one is the prize, the crown, the victory. What's that? What is the prize? What is the triumph? What is the crown? the imperishable wreath. Is it okay to live your life and run your race and fight your fight for that? Is that okay? That's what I want to talk about this morning. And the second thing that has to be talked about is what is this running? What is this pommeling of the body that Paul does? What is this self-discipline that all athletes do? What does that look like in your life from Morning till night. What would it look like for Viola Allen on a breathing machine? Or Elsie tied into her bed at 95? How do you run a race and fight a fight when you're half blind? And when you are so weak mentally that you can't remember for more than 30 seconds. What does it mean to people like that to fight like an Olympian? That's next week. This morning the question is, what's at stake in the race? what is the prize what's the crown now paul gives four answers to that question in verses 23 to 27 gives one answer in verse 23 one answer in verse 24 one answer in verse 25 and one answer in verse 27 now two of the answers are given in relationship to his own running and what he says is at stake in his fight and two of the answers are given in relationship to what's at stake in the corinthian running and their fight. It's the same prize and the same crown and the same triumph, but he's using himself in two of the verses to illustrate how to do the running and what the prize is, and then he calls them to join him in the running and the fighting and says they get the same prize. So we want to look at these four statements this morning of what the prize is for which we run and for which we fight. Number one, verse 23. Paul is summing up now, verses 19 to 22, where he has said he lives his whole life for the sake of other people. He'd become anything to anybody within the law of Christ that he can in order that he might save some. That's his race. That's his fight to live for the gospel. And so he sums it up like this, verse 23. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. That... I may become a partaker of it. That I may become a fellow partaker of the gospel. That I might share in the gospel. That I might participate in and obtain what the gospel promises. That's what's at stake. That's the prize. What does the gospel promise? What does it mean to share in the gospel? Romans 1.16 says, The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And Paul says, I live for the sake of this gospel. I preach it. I will die for it. And when I do that, he says in this verse, I'm doing it that as many people as possible will be saved, and so that I will be saved. That's what it means to participate in the gospel. To be a sharer in the gospel is to be saved. That's what's at stake. He said the very same thing to Timothy. Listen to these words in 2 Timothy 4.16. Take heed to yourself and to your teaching. Hold fast to that, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You will save both yourself and your hearers if you live for the gospel. Now, why is that for Paul and Timothy? The reason is this. Paul was called by God to serve the gospel. That's the meaning of Paul's life. Christ appeared to him on the Damascus road, showed him how much he would have to suffer, appointed him as an apostle to the Gentiles and said, the meaning of your relationship to me is that you live for the gospel. If Paul says at some way along his race, I don't think I'm interested in that anymore. I hear what you're saying, Lord Jesus, but I'm through. I'm tired of becoming all things to all people. I'm tired of living for the gospel. I'm tired of following my heavenly call. I'm tired of doing what you say to do morning, noon, and night for the sake of other people that they might be saved. I will hang on if I can to you for the forgiveness of my sins, but I'm done doing what you say. I'm finished with this race. He would not share in the gospel. He'd be lost. He'd be gone. He would be, as he says, disqualified. That's number two. Verse 27 What is at stake in this race for Paul? I buffet my body, I make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. I have heard so many people try to make this text mean what it doesn't mean, like disqualified from preaching but still saved. That's not what it means means disqualified from sharing in the gospel, like verse 23 says. I do everything that I might share in the gospel. If I don't live for Christ, I will not share in the gospel. I'll be disqualified from the gospel. In the next chapter, verse 12 of chapter 10, he warns the Corinthians who were so proud and so self-assured and cocky in their salvation thinking that they were eating the Lord's Supper and that guaranteed their salvation, thinking that they were baptized and had passed through the water and that guaranteed their salvation, he said to them in verse 12, Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. That's exactly what Paul is doing in this verse, to himself. He is taking heed to himself and his call and his ministry, lest he fall in the race and be disqualified. What Paul is saying in verse 27 is this. If I don't take heed to myself, if I don't pommel my body, if I begin to give way to some of the sinful impulses of my flesh, I could conceivably find myself on a downward slippery slope of disobedience and rebellion and apostasy at the bottom of which I would be reprobate and in hell. That's what Paul is saying in verse 20. Seven. This is serious business here. What's at stake in the running of his race is a share in the gospel and the opposite of sharing in the gospel salvation is being disqualified. It means coming to the end of his race and hearing the judge say disqualified. I know that you did many mighty works in my name. I know that you cast out demons in my name. I know that you taught many people in my name, but depart from me, I never knew you. You ran off the course, you took steroids. You left the path of faith and righteousness and obedience and you came in here at the last minute having done it your way and not the judge's way You think you're going to cross this line and get anything? You are disqualified. That's what Paul knows is a real possibility if he doesn't run so as to obtain. The best evidence for that meaning in verse 27 is that the word disqualified is used again in 2 Corinthians 13.5 in this verse. Test yourselves... To see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless you are disqualified? Same word. The opposite of being disqualified is that Jesus is in you. If you're disqualified, Jesus is not in you. So what he's saying here is this. I will not allow my life to be lived as a sham. I will not pretend that Christ is in me when he's not in me. I will so run, I will so fight as to let my life be a living demonstration that He is in me and that He's powerful to save. What's at stake in running the race and fighting the fight and finishing the course is the demonstration that Christ is in you and that you are not disqualified, but that you are a living example of the living Christ within Running, fighting are essential. Listen to this beautiful verse. Now, if if you've missed anything I've said up to this point, don't miss this next verse and this next sentence, all right? This is the key that unlocks the question on many of your faces. Philippians 3.12 Not that I have already obtained or have already become perfect, But I press on to make it my own in order that I might lay hold on that for which I have been laid hold of by Christ. You hear it? You get it? Oh, we've got to get this mystery of the Christian life. We've got to get this straight. Many of you are reading The Bondage Breaker right now. We're going to have our whole leadership Um, What do you call it? Retreat dedicated to this whole issue of spiritual warfare. Read page 158 in the bondage breaker this afternoon to hear what I am saying. I run, Paul says, to lay hold on my share in the gospel for which I was mightily, irreversibly, powerfully laid hold of by Jesus Christ. And if I don't run, I show He didn't take me. Get it? It is so different from saying, I am running because I have no idea if I'll make it. It's so different from saying, I'm running and I'm fighting because I don't know if Christ is in me. I don't know if I've been justified. I don't know if I've been reconciled. I don't know if I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That is not at all the nature of the race. The race is, I will live and run and fight because there is dwelling in me a Christ who ran, who fought, who endured the cross for the joy set before Him and I will live out this Christ because if I don't, it's proof He's not within. That's the scary thing about this text. It just sweeps sham Christians right off the track. And so the first two statements of how the prize is conceived are found in verse 23 and verse 27. Let me take the last two quickly. Verse 24 is number three. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run so that you might seize it. That word prize occurs one other time in the New Testament, namely Philippians 3.14. I press on toward the goal of the prize of what? The upward call of God in Christ. That's it. The prize is heaven and nothing less than heaven. Do you run your race Because heaven is at stake in your race. Do you fight and pummel your body and deny yourself and crucify the flesh because heaven is at stake in your life? Or do you play games with God? Number four, verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive perishable wreath, let's say gold around the neck. We do it... To obtain an imperishable wreath. The closest parallel to this crown or wreath, same word in the Greek, is found in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. The reason it's a close parallel is because it mentions the race, it mentions the fight, and it mentions the crown. Listen. I have fought the good fight. Here he is at the end of his life. I have finished the course, the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth... There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And not only for me, but for everyone who loved his appearing. The crown is the righteousness that fits us for heaven. Without that righteousness, we will not enter into glory. We hunger and we thirst, Jesus says, for that righteousness. Why? Because we know we're going to be satisfied. The judge in that last day will complete... Our perfection the conclusion this morning is this life is serious what you do with your life your race your fight will make the difference between whether you have a share in the gospel or whether you are disqualified whether you obtain the prize of heaven or whether you don't whether you obtain the crown of righteousness or whether you don't In Barcelona this week, you will see the path of discipline and pain that athletes are willing to pursue for one gold medal and for one hour of glory in the praise of man. Nothing. It is nothing. It is nothing. It is nothing, nothing compared to heaven. Nothing compared to the crown of righteousness. Nothing compared to the prize of the upward call. Nothing compared to a share in the gospel. And so I plead with you, transpose your television watching. Transpose it all up into another level of reality and go beyond the gold and let your running and let your fighting and let your discipline Be Olympic spirituality because Christ has laid hold on you and wills to be known. Almighty God and Father, make your Son known through your people. Forbid that we would have the mentality that we can live like the world thus blinding them to your reality and think that there is no consequence. Grant, I pray, that we would run so as to obtain, that we would fight so as to win, that we would pummel our bodies and take them slave, that we might not be disqualified. And may we do it in the strength that you supply that you might get glory in everything. In Jesus' name, amen.